What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Splitting Uprights. And today, we have a very special interview for y'all. Coach Buck Buchanan and I used to do a show when I was still at Hendricks called Views from the Kicks with our friend, fellow place kicker, Jack Bryant, where we would talk about anything. But we also had a focus on Hendricks sports, of course. But we could go hours talking about anything. And that's really due to Coach Buck's wide range of interests. This man could go years talking just music, just fishing, but when you combine those two, it's a deadly combination. And we do a little bit of that to here today. We had a ton of fun doing it. We're very excited to share it with y'all. Hopefully y'all enjoy it as much, if not more, than we enjoyed doing it. So I don't want to waste any more time. Let's hand it over to the coach of the Hendricks College Warriors, Coach Buck Buchanan. <laughs> All right, no, no fancy gimmicks here. No playing around. No sophisticated intros. We got a, we got the head man on the podcast today, Coach Buck Buchanan and um, Stone. You in the pre-show meeting, I thought you accurately <laughs> said what having Coach Buck on the show is like. Oh, it's like I'm gonna put myself on mute and I'm gonna let my best player go to work. Coach Buck on a podcast is like Shaq in the post in the uh, late '90s, early 2000s. So. This is a 30-30 guy on a podcast, which is almost unheard of. So take it away, bud. Hey, I wish I was still 30. <laughs> Tell you that. Well, the thing about it is it's not like you just let me go. Somebody has to warm up with a question around here. <laughs> uh, you'll be surprised, Coach, because we got plenty of those. But I got to ask you something first. So th obviously, these are weird times. I mean, for one, I I'm talking with three football coaches right now who, you know, we're entering into the fall semester of school without football so that's one weird thing but I gotta ask you this coach uh because this might be the weirdest thing to you of everything you can't leave the house nowadays without grabbing a face mask but correct not without a you have been taught penalty, you've been taught your entire life not to grab a face mask so that's right so no foolish penalties yep. Sandy no foolish penalties so you're right and you're living but, out one of your uh your go-to sayings adapted but even though that's always game. said I don't think the offensive line ever heard that in their lives. So I don't know if they weren't told that. I don't know if they didn't hear that. But there was a lot of face mask grabbing as I went. So just telling you. So I guess it's just like being an offensive lineman. You grab a face mask and then, you know, you claim it as your own. Coach, you, you wouldn't go as far as – are you saying that offensive linemen grab face masks? I'm not saying that they don't grab face masks. I'm just saying that it has been known. I'm probably the last player to ever wear a T-bar. You know why? Because people want to stick their freaking hand in your face. You know what? You get a T-bar on there, they can't put their hand in there. That's, that's, that's clutch, you know? Everybody wants to be cool and have an open face mask. Well, you know what? When the guys get gouged out, they ain't so cool. You know, Coach, back in the day, I heard this story about, you know, Sewanee, one of our conference rivals. I believe this was way back in the early 1900s. They were playing – I don't remember who they were playing, but they had a lineman who uh, they played five games in six days, which uh, not many people are doing nowadays. They had a guy with one eye, if that's what you're going to ask. I'm getting to the eye patch. Where what, yeah. he, what, would he tell, what would he tell the player coach that was across from him? Man, I can't even remember. I, mean, I can't remember what Travis told me that that, that story was. But I, he's like, 
I, I don't remember. You tell me, Sandy, because I know I told the story before. Isn't it about he points to his eye patch and he says, this happened in the last game. Let's see what happens in this game. I think that everybody should wear an eye patch and just move it back, uh, you know, series to series and just let them play. You know, one one eye patch here, one eye patch there, you know, like, you know, then they keep, them, keep them guessing. Kind of like young Frankenstein when he has a hump over here, then a hump over there, you know. <laughs> Coach Buck, we do something on the show that, you know, you're, you're obviously, you coached us. We all respect you, but we need to put you through our, our freshman fall camp here. Uh, we do a thing called best and worst. Um, you tell us what ha- what's, what's really happening in your life. That's what's going best and what's going worst right now. So uh, coach Buck, what is the best and worst in your life that's happening right now? All right. It's never as good and never as bad as it always is. That's, that's my motto. So it's hard to live in superlatives. So, but I, I will tell you the, the probably the best thing that's happening is trying to make sure that we get our guys back on campus. And the worst thing that's probably is that's, that we don't have our guys on campus because to me, it's, it's trying to get those guys here. And, and I, I miss our team. We have one of the best teams we've ever had. They're one of the greatest groups to ever be around and not having them here is absolutely killing me. Well, coach, I can speak on that part about them being one of the greatest groups around because you, you missed something in your best. It, it was a shared best of the weekend because on Friday night, we were that at a wedding for one of I mean, uh, one of our good friends, Charles Gingras, kicker at that was, I have to agree. The best thing that happened this week was Chuck getting married. That was the best thing that happened. And, and me being able to see some more players because, I mean, I just miss our guys. It is. And, I mean, it's, it's just like you tell us. I'm not going to, like, divulge into team secrets. But it's essentially something that they say in a lot of programs where, you know, as freshmen you come in, these are the men that will be carrying your casket, be on your side on your wedding day and, you know, and all these different memorable days of your life. And, and I, you know, now that I'm done in my career, like that's could not be more the case. Like the very guys that I came into on that day are my best friends. Like I still have good friends in high school, but like, you're right. When, when your car breaks down or something, you're just something bad happens to you and you need someone to call. I've got those guys that walked in that room with me that were out in the field with me, you know, that, that did podcasts with you and I, the radio show and all that so I mean, it was just a special moment and just it, it's a yeah because everyone there almost like all the males at least were players of yours pretty much except for some of the family but you know yep I mean it, it is what you know that I was very proud to, to see those guys up there and being around and unfortunately you know they had to cut the list of 50 people so you know that cut a lot of people out too so uh, it would have been nice to have the whole team there but uh, kind of like practice be nice to have everybody right <laughs> So, Coach, um, obviously we're on a different show now. You and I used to do a show, Views from the Kicks, which may be making its return sooner than later. Who knows? But um, obviously there will be a lot of people listening to this who are not familiar with you, and that's their loss. But we will help them out today. We will try to. So, obviously you're the head football coach at Hendricks, but can you, can you kind of give me your background story? And I mean, they might be able to tell now from your draw that you're from Texas, but j- just some background story on Buck Buchanan, if you will. I am Buck Buchanan. Uh, I was from Denison, Texas. I grew up in Denison. I played ball all the way through school. Uh, I was a uh, uh, I, I played offense and defensive line. Uh, we went to a lot. We won a lot of football games. Had a lot of had a lot of success. I went to Austin College, uh, which is a school just like Hendricks. I played there. Um, I coached. I actually coached as a senior uh, when I when I broke my wrist, and then I played again as a graduate student. So I was a D-line coach as a senior, and I played as a graduate student. Then I went back to coaching for two years as a D-line coach. 
And then I went from there to Louisiana College to, to be the strength coach, the defensive coordinator, the guy that cuts the grass. Uh, I pretty much had every title under the sun uh, except for head coach. I was interim for a time being. I outlasted five head coaches, four eight. outside of Sherman and Denison and you know we love it here uh, we're a divided house um, I'm a Hendrix all the way black and orange all the way and but uh, Michelle's UCA uh, teaches in a STEM teach program so divided house here in Conway but we love the place love central Arkansas and for us prideful Texans it's hard for us to say we like living anywhere else but I love Arkansas it's been good to me and well hopefully we can win a lot more games and stay here for a long time and the other fact is, no matter where you go, there's a lot worse places. <laughs> I'm not going to call it any states, but, uh, you know, the humidity's not as bad here. It isn't quite as hot, and fishing's good. So, and we got a good administration at Hendricks. So, working with good people is very important to longevity and success and having a fulfillment of job. Well, here's the thing, Drew, you know, just because he's moving from Texas to Arkansas doesn't mean he's not coaching other places either. So, Coach, you mentioned this part. You were talking about it's not as humid in Arkansas as it is in Texas, so maybe it's, it's a little nicer in the weather. But um, I was talking with Stone, Drew and I were, about this in his own episode before we brought him on full time. We asked him about the hottest game he's ever played in, and the thing is all three of us have a shared experience here because there is no doubt the hottest game we have ever played in. And I have a feeling – that the hottest game you've ever been a part of might be the very game we're talking about, too. You know which one I'm talking about? Uh, the Millsaps game, that was <laughs> one of the hottest games. of. But, but when I played, one of my hottest games was at Millsaps, too. I mean, because it, it's down in that bowl, and you don't get wind there, and it just it gets hotter and hotter. The only benefit I had when I played is it was grass. It wasn't turf. So it wasn't, it wasn't as hot as it was that day when we played there. The greatest thing about that day is we ran first play of the game, ran power, Dayton ran for a touchdown, and we never looked back. So we were always ahead. So I never was nervous. So, <laughs> But it was hot. I thought we lost Johnny B that day. <laughs> Thank God we Ex didn't. Exactly. I think everyone, everyone points to that. They're like, we have this 70-plus-year-old coach, and we, we're hot as hell as, you know, uh, late teens and early 20s guys. And, you know, we feel like we're about to pass out. We always talk about, like, I wonder what that guy felt like. I don't care about the military background at all. I know that man was feeling it. <laughs> hey, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Just remember Definitely. That. Definitely. And, and it was hot. So when I played, it was that game. And then my second game of my senior year, that was our first – one of our first games in our second game. We played in Nebraska Westland. And we had a terrible road trip. I mean, terrible road trip. It, it nothing worked right. We it took forever to get there. I mean, and we and it was and you know we're all going to Nebraska. We're like, oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be freaking cool up there. Awesome. We're playing up north, way up north. It was a hundred plus in Nebraska that day at Lincoln, and I lost twenty three pounds in one game. Shane, my best friend Shane, told me after the game, like, you actually look skinny. Um, that's the first time that's ever been said to me. But 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 I mean like. I had to stand up the whole way home on the bus. That, you know, they didn't give you IVs after the game and stuff back then. You know, like, I mean, I, I could have died, could have been killed or even worse. So, Coach, um, I get the feeling I don't think this will be the last time you're on this show, so they'll get to meet you more. But um, <laughs> I just want to ask it's you a, about It's a this. work in progress. I mean, you yeah. know, I mean. It would be. It's, it's kind of like it's kind of like the allegory of the cave. You only see the shape of me now. You, as we go, you actually see colors and it. it, it 
it it it manifests itself into the actual person, right? It would be very difficult to surmise the last seven years, well, the first seven years, I guess, of the resurrection of Hendricks football. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely get into those stories over time. But I, I guess with more pressing matters, I'd like to ask you about this, being that you're the first head coach we've had on this show. Obviously, like we mentioned beforehand, you are directly impacted by what's going on in the world right now. So we talked to Stone a little bit about this, but you're the head guy. You know, you're accountable for everything. What um, Just – it's it's a general question. It's broad, but like, what what kind of adjustments have you had to make over this time in the summer? Well, I mean, the biggest adjustment is we would be practicing right now, like literally right now. Well, actually, it's lightning outside. We wouldn't be practicing right now. I've already called it. But point is, I mean, the adjustment is is just you're mentally ready to go do this at this time. I mean, it's like just I mean. You're not supposed to be fishing this time. You're not supposed to be doing stuff. This time. You're supposed to be practicing football and preparing. And and that's the hardest mental transition is just, you know, that's – even when I came here to start the program and I knew I didn't have football for a whole whole year, uh, you know, we were recruiting and, and had an opportunity to, to, to get things rolling. But, but that was one of those things, knowing going in, you already know that that's what the scenario is. You have the scout report on it. So – this is one of those things where you just you just aren't prepared for it because that's not what was supposed to happen and it's not what was supposed to be done and and it's out of our normal routine. I mean, we just we we want to be playing and so that's that's the hardest thing uh, really. Another transition is you know we haven't really worked on a lot of football stuff and uh, I refuse to make forty plans over the summer to be honest with you to to not do it. So uh, I didn't waste a lot of time doing stuff that we weren't going to do. I, I assume, Coach Buck, one of the biggest transitions for the summer for you was having to buy, or I guess really not so much the summer, but for the beginning of fall, is having to buy more fishing gear. Has that been a problem for yourself? <laughs> uh, that depends on who you ask. Problem? Not, I'm not kidding. There, there is really limited supply of anything that's like outdoor related. Academy one day because my nephew normally has. I mean, the outdoor equipment stuff is, is selling like hotcakes, and it's really hard to get it back on the shelves, and it's hard to get it in, in demand. So there's been a lot of things. Yes, I would have ordered in bulk, uh, but you know you can't get that stuff right now. So and actually, I've I felt that on both sides. I don't have a football team here. I can't get some of the stuff I fish with. It's killing me on every side. Now, I guess as long as it doesn't kill me, as long as I don't get COVID, it kills me. I guess we'll we'll be okay. Which I got to ask you, because I, I mean, obviously I was only there for a year, but um, what's the best fishing story that you can, that you could tell, tell me and, and the listeners out there? Okay. I'll tell you, this is the best story I can give you. All right. So when I was a kid, now my grandfather took me fishing all the time when I was a kid, and that's how I ended up really getting into it. And, and then of course I just have a competitive drive. So I always want to win. So now I just like, I just want to beat the fish too. So, so, uh, but I always wanted to beat everybody around me. My grandfather and I would always compete. Well, we were fishing in a little back, and the the, the it was a man worked worked the farm together. Hill Baker, and and so Hill Baker and, and his son were in in the in the boat. Well, we were we had a few fish. I'd missed a couple. We, we were frog fishing, and not fishing for frogs. We were fishing with frogs for bass. So just to clarify, and so we had a couple of you know reasonable fish you know on a stringer we I think we had three or four fish on a stringer uh probably two and a half pounds was the biggest well 
we were racing back to the landing and we were paddling really fast and we were going through all these bayous and sloughs. It's in Louisiana. And, you know, we ran boats into each other. And so we get to the landing and our stringer was broke. And I was like, dad gum it, man, our stringer, our fish are gone. And uh, Mr. Baker looks over and goes, well, how big a fish you had on that? We had some good fish on that stringer, man. We, we had some real good ones today. And so he flips up his, his his ice chest and he goes is it about like that one he had about a four and a half five pounder sitting there like yeah we have one about like that he goes you sure about this i said yeah i said we sure did uh and he he pulls that five pounder off and our fish are sitting there with that stringer he had cut the stringer off and put him in the in the box underneath that five pounder and he said you sure those don't look like your fish i was like yes sir those are our fish and that's the last time i ever lied about fish story now it's about 10 years old so i don't lie about the size of fish that's the best story i can give you i'm not a fisherman myself but hey that you know that i've heard a lot of good fisherman stories but that one definitely tops them um sandy do, hey let me i'll put it to you like this drew do a radio show and a podcast with this guy and you will hear more fishing stories than you could ever imagine and each one gets better and better and better i there's one about him him and his best friend shane and oh gosh i think it was a brother-in-law or something but i i'm not oh, you I, mean to take it to the me. truck story you uh, mean to take it to the truck story we don't <laughs> yeah you don't have to get into that one today but no, I mean, that, i've just heard a, so many for the future that's a hunting season story not a fishing story uh there's a few with shane in it too so that is my evil twin brother who's not really my brother but anyway you get the point yeah no coach um obviously you know you're you're a coach what are some, you know, the challenges of obviously right not right now, but talking about in the fall, what's what's some challenges you have during fall camp of, of with the incoming freshmen and even just some returning guys trying to take bigger roles? Is that like like as a like a, a philosophical overtime question or a this fall question? Because this fall ain't nothing happening. So I don't know how to do it this fall. But <laughs> a philosophical <philosoph> question. <laughs> philosophically over time, you know, uh, part of that is just part of that's through the recruiting process of getting the right guys. I mean, that's, that's part of the, the of, of doing that. And then the other part is uh, developing your leaders on your team to be able to, you know, bring those guys up and, and, and to identify some of those guys that are in that freshman class to, to take some of that leadership role. Uh, sometimes that's, that's difficult. Hopefully you hope that kind of uh, manifests itself organically, but, you know, sometimes you have to take the bull by the horn and you have to do some of those things to develop that. Um, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, I don't know if there's anything that we do that's like necessarily is like, hey, this is for that reason, uh, other than just the way we try to develop the whole team together. And I think with our situation of not being one of those teams that has 200 plus people on it, I mean, we have you know, 85, 90 guys, and, and everybody knows they're important to the process because you, that's all we got to play with. I mean, it, it's not like you have a relegated scout team and you have freshmen that are just waiting around to see if they can make it to sophomores. You know, everybody is viable in the program. So, therefore, it's a little bit easier to facilitate that uh, in the situation that we have. Um, when you're in a situation in other places where you have, like when I was at Louisiana College, we had 185 players on the team, another 35 in a prep program. So, you know, over 200 players – and there is a point of, you know, you, you kind of got to see who, who makes it through the process before you start investing in them. And honestly, that burnt me out over time. I just couldn't continue to give like that uh, without that 
return on investment. I'd much rather have guys that you're going to count on to come in through the recruiting part and, and just know that, you know, you got a chance to keep those guys around and those are the ones you're depending on. So I know that doesn't technically answer your question directly, but, but I mean, by doing the things you do to develop your program, hopefully you're organically doing that uh, uh, on its own. Well, first of all, Coach, I know it's so good to be back on the air with you because I heard you just say return on investment, and that's something you say a lot over the four <laughs> years that I was, the five years that Stone and I were there. So, just it's good to be back, um, Drew. I, I wanted to say this because I don't know if he was going to mention it, but Coach, I'm going to ask you about the advantages of this, maybe. But so one thing that Hendricks has going for it going into this year, you know, playing the spring, hopefully, is that we're not losing a lot of starters from last year's team, and especially on the defensive side of the ball, I believe we're losing one true starter on the defensive line. Coach, obviously you can correct me. I know there's, there's also some like, gosh, I don't remember what you want to call it, attrition that we obviously lose guys in some places, but we're not losing a lot of guys. But also, most important part is, you know, we have some coaching turnover and you bring in a guy, coach, as defensive coordinator who the defense already knows. It's not like I would have, like, so my high school, North Rock, we hired a new coach this year. He wasn't able to meet them until, like, June. I mean, maybe they're doing online meetings and stuff, but they don't know who their head coach is, per se. But with Hendricks, they all know Coach Edelman. They know who he is. And not only that, inside backers and maybe outside backers if they're working with him, they know Coach Paul. So it's like there's got to be – Coach, can you speak to the, the advantage of having that familiarity factor here, especially in this time where some teams may not have been able to meet their coach yet, but with Thomas being there now, they do know him. Yeah, I think that's something that's big. I think it was big for us. And it was, I mean, Coach Edelman has proven, you know, more capable, more than capable of being able to do the job. And, and I'll just, I'll just tell you, I mean, like, I feel like, you know, it would have been a slap in his face if we wouldn't have promoted him, to be honest with you, just because, you know, he's, 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 a, he's exactly what we want out of a Hendricks grad to be able to go do the job that we prepare you to do. So what would I be talking about our program if I wouldn't hire the guy from our program to do the job? So that's kind of the way I looked at it. Uh, and, and I'd always talk to him about, you know, you're ready to do this. And, and when coach Trotter decides that he wants to do something else, then, you know, this is to be an opportunity for you because you, you can, you're able to do this. And I think it was good for our guys because our guys know, it's just like me, you know, coming from a similar situation, knowing what it takes to be a student and an athlete at a place like this is very important. And I think uh, because Coach Edelman can relate to that, it's even better for our guys uh, because we're not going to ask anybody to do what we, we didn't or couldn't do. Um, and I think that's important, and I think our guys respect that. And then also Coach Edelman is, you know, he, he's great with the guys. He's, he, he's – and, and, I mean, and – just like you said, not having to learn somebody new. And then, of course, we replaced uh, the secondary position with, with Coach Marshall. And Coach Marshall had coached with, with uh, Louisiana College's staff and Coach Charles. And Coach Charles highly recommended him. And Coach Charles is, you know, one of my best friends and, and somebody that I really uh, depend on. And so, it's, it's again, we're still kind of from the same family tree. And I think that's really important because, ultimately, I just want to give the best opportunity for our, our guys to be successful successful and and to feel like you know they're you know they're wanted loved and 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 the guys are going to play hard for them because we're going to coach hard for for the guys yeah so uh coach Edelman originally he was promoted from special teams coordinator and had some other jobs as well but uh we had a great special teams coordinator in for two years coach Josh Bonadonna who played for you coach Buck and I love coach Bono I miss that guy to death and I can't wait to see him again hopefully he's listening to this shout out to coach Bono but um 
you know, Coach Bono leaves, and then comes Coach Edelman. And, I mean, from the first meeting, I mean, I'm telling you, like, from the first minute, he starts putting up these projections and stuff. But the way he just orates, the way he talks, he commands the room. I'm like, this guy's been like he's been coaching for 10 years or something. Like, he just walks in the job day one. And, I mean, he kills it. And from there, I was like, this guy is a coach. You know, this is what he was born to do. Hey, put one more thing on that, too. One, one more thing on that. See, what people don't realize too many times, people want to coach. They want to be – they want to call themselves coach. They want that acronym before. But really and truly – it's about being a teacher. And Coach Edelman's a great teacher. And if you're a great teacher, you're going to be a great coach. And, you know, that's one of the things about whether or not you want to coach college ball or high school. And I always say this, you know, you know we, sometimes we don't get paid as much in college or at this level of college. <laughs> but, but the point is, you know, in, in some in like Texas high schools, you're, you're paid to teach. You get a stipend to coach. You know, um, and teaching is very important and classroom teaching is important. You know, Coach Edelman – you know, did study education. Myself, I, I, I did study education. You know, my family is a, a family of educators. I mean, that is an important part of the process and being a good teacher is part of being a good coach. Um, there's a lot more that goes along with the coaching part of that that's, that, 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 you know, from the on the field stuff or whatever, but it really boils down to being able to teach what you're trying to, to accomplish. And for our guys, you got to be able to teach correctly the first time because otherwise they're going to do it wrong every time after that. Uh, my golf game uh, reaffirms that statement, what you said. You got a lot of bad habits got to work out well on the course with uh, kicker Steve and Jack in a few days. Say, uh, I'm sure kicker Steve would tell you everything that you're doing wrong. He does. He does. <laughs> uh, with, but with Coach Elman, I got to ask this coach, it almost seems like we had to hire him quick because we had the eSports program coming into Hendricks, and that was a, they were a real threat to take Coach Elman away from us. I mean, that, that's like a second life to him. Well, as much as I love to fish, he's an esports fanatic. So uh, I know that it, he he knows he knows his esports. You can't e fish; it doesn't work. Scott Martin tried that. It did. It definitely didn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, Coach. Um, I think I think it's great. Obviously, when I was there, we had a lot of great coaches, um, and I think that's very very important uh, because you see these players, and especially high school kids, like coming into freshman year. Um, you think you know everything whenever you come in. You come, you usually come from being like, "Oh, I'm the I'm the best player." Um, you get a rude awakening, even Division three level. Uh, I tell people all the time because you know from where I'm from, a lot of Division one or guys go a lot of Division one, and I'm like, "Hey, you know, you're gonna there's a, there's a lot to expect um, from you guys." And but at a Division three level, like people don't understand, like football is is football no matter where you play, and I'm sure. Um, that you have a lot of stories when it comes to guys coming in with big heads and, and getting a rude awakening their freshman year. Yeah, I mean, football's football. The field's the same no matter where you go. and It just depends on how many people you put around that thing. I mean, that's, that's what it boils down to because the game is still the same. It still boils down to blocking and tackling, and it still boils down to the guy that has most points wins the game. So uh, there's not a lot of difference in that. It's just which tunnel you're going to run out of, you know, or bridge you're going to run across in our in – our, in our, uh, neck of the woods but uh, I always say big times where you're at and uh, every division has its positives and negatives um, and I think that everybody has to find what their fit is to be honest with you I mean uh, but one thing that we all share whether you play division one down to junior college ball whatever is we all are college athletes and we're all college football players and not everybody can say that and that's that, that puts you in a different group um, 
And, you know, again, every division, every level has its, has its ups and downs. I mean, ultimately, I mean, it's like this. I have time to do stuff like this with you guys. I mean, I, like Sandy and I did the podcast. I mean, you spend time with players outside of just being the football coach. Um, I don't have kids. That, our players are those, those are our kids. I mean, that's something that's important to me. And so uh, that, this is a place that allows me to do that. The, as you go up in levels, your relationships go down in, in quality. And that, that doesn't, that's, I'm not saying that negatively because it's just, it's just a different relationship. It's different. Uh, and I know uh, some of my friends that have, were Division One football players, uh, some of those guys had relationships with coaches and whatnot. But it's just different because even if you want to have close relationships at that level, there's so many rules that keep you from being able to do that. That, that, that keeps uh, a distance between coaches and players. Uh, and at this level, I get to be me, and our players are them, and I feel like people like playing for us, and we like coaching for those guys. It doesn't mean you like every day or everything we do. I mean, I know the first three days of my fall camp, I was like, what in the world have I got myself into? I don't want to run time quarters. This, this sucks. But, you know, but the experience I had over the time was overall positive. And I think that that would be the case with most of the people that graduate from our program. I would, I, I can't say that. Y'all can say that. I can't say that. I haven't graduated from our program. I hope that's the case. But there's a lot of people that are disenfranchised once they play at different levels or whatnot. But I think one of the keys about small college football, whether it's, uh, you know, one double A on down, uh, is that you do have a little bit better chance to have personal relationships uh, with other players and coaches uh, at, a, at a higher rate to some degree. For me, you know, I'm I'm going into my first year of coaching. Uh, it's it's pretty new, especially. Uh, I mean, I'm a college coach. That's I mean, that sounds awesome to say, but obviously, with the season not going the way we want it right now, I get a little bit more time to prepare for the spring. But my question to you would be: Is um, you know, what's it like being a first year coach? Like, what do you remember being like with your first year? Like, what were your struggles? What were your triumphs? I guess. And um, I guess, what what were the best things? What are some some of the best things that I could do, or maybe you know other first year coaches could do to be successful? We're very much alive because uh, I had to sit out my senior year, and so uh, I had to sit out the whole year. So I ended up coaching as that senior, uh, whereas you know you you were a, a hand for us as a senior after the first sixth play of your career, your senior year. Um, and I think the thing that we both share is the fact that. We're both very well respected by our teammates and we're a leader on our team before we assume that role. Uh, and and so people that are already in the program know your heart for the program and the players. So that you don't have to necessarily prove yourself in that regard. And I think that's a benefit. You know, the, the biggest challenge is to step away from being the player uh, in terms of everything off the field, you know, because you, you yes, you – as much as I say you have to have that relationship, your relationship is different than it was as a, as a player-to-player relationship. Um, uh, I think one of the things that helped me in the transition was when I was a junior, I played with almost all seniors. I was the one underclassman or lower classman. Uh, when I was a senior, we had a whole group of freshmen that I ended up coaching. And then the challenge was actually to go back and play with those guys after coaching them. <laughs> so my challenge was actually to go back as a player from coaching them and then to switch back to coach again. Um, but again, I think 
when people know your your heart and your intention, you know, that's that makes things a lot easier. And you, you don't necessarily change who you were from a player because I think that makes you who you are as a coach to some degree, especially when you're embracing that with a team that you've already been a part of. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges for me was uh, to make sure that I understood that, that this is, and this is hard for everybody probably, but you can treat everybody fairly, but you can't treat everybody the same. And not everybody responds to the same thing. And I learned that the hard way. You can't yell at everybody. You can't coach everybody the same way. You have to find out what motivates each player to be the best they can be. Don't put a square peg in a round hole unless the round hole is like really big and the square peg just fits right in. That's, 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 the, that's the whole point uh, because our job is to get the most out of everybody that's out there. From the guy that's first on the bus to the guy that didn't make the bus is to get that guy better at what he does because that's what's going to make that person better in life too because it's about becoming the best version of yourself every day. And that's our task is to get those guys better. And if those guys know that you care about them in, in, in regards to getting them better at what they're doing and, and, and what they're going to become, then they will respond positively to you. But you've got to figure out how to get that message across to each player to be the best that they can be. And sometimes that's a little trial and error. I want to follow up on this, Coach, uh, specifically as it relates to Stone. So, obviously, you've known Stone since you were recruiting him. I've known Stone since we played together. Uh, obviously, we knew he was going to be a coach. Um, what is it about Stone that you're excited about? What is it that he does that makes him uniquely, uniquely uh, ready to be a coach, like compared to all of us players? What is it about him that's going to make him a great football coach? Because I have no doubt he's, he's going to be fantastic and kids will love him. But Because Stone has known what he's wanted to do from the get-go. He's wanted to coach from the get-go, from the time that I first met him to, to, to you know, what he's wanted, what he's inspired to do. Uh, and how he was as a leader on our team was what you want in a coach, the same kind of the same kind of qualities he had as a leader is the same thing you want as a coach. And again, uh, and he's very serious about preparing himself to be able to do that. So that that's 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 really what what it boils down to. You just know that that guy's gonna gonna do it because as a team player, I don't know if there's anybody that I've ever coached that, that that's as much team oriented. I mean, just like I'll do whatever it takes. And because that's really hard, and, and I know it's hard, Stone, to be on the podcast with me at the same time while I'm bragging on you, but, you know, it's a guy that was unselfish. It was the starter, was the guy, and and humbled himself to say, I will do whatever it takes for the team. I know I might not be as good as I am or could be when I come back, but hopefully that's good enough to be a starter again. But if not, I'll do whatever it takes to make us better. And you couldn't ask for a better role model for for a coach in that regard too because you know when when that in, in education is a sum total of life experience for us all that part right there and it's like i tell all our guys that, that go through some of those hardships that might not be about you right then it might not be about me right then that might be because you need to have that experience for some kid that is going to be lost in the woods 15 years from now and you go let me tell you about this that happened to me and so just because some tragedy or something bad happened to you right now doesn't mean that the Lord didn't put that in your path for, for you. That might be because you're supposed to teach that to somebody down the road and because you can relate to somebody down the road. Um, and that's, that goes, that, you know, a lot of people don't, they don't look at that 
in terms of the future or whatever. But when you're a coach, that's the ripple effect that's going to happen. How, if I wouldn't have had to sit out my senior year, how could I ever lay the stone having to sit out last year? You know, I know what that feels like. It is a terrible feeling. I've, I've got one shot to be finished, and then all of a sudden you don't get to do it. That's what I feel right now for every senior that's coming back for this COVID deal. I, I, I feel for them. I'm like I'm like your parents if something bad happened to you. I'm I'm like that for our team. I sit around going, man, I wish I could take that hurt away from everybody. Coach, I appreciate the kind words, but I don't appreciate you trying to make me cry on the podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> Go to picture mode. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm about, to, uh, I'm about to stop the video here. So, I mean – everything you said is true about stone and even more, there's so much more to be said about him. But when you have a guy who's this qualified and you want him on your staff, I would assume you weren't stuck between a rock and a hard place when it came to hiring stone. Uh, well, rock and a hard place. Yes. Stone. But uh, here's the other thing. If you can hire people that you would call on in a crisis, you hear the, you hire the right people. Uh, and I, I mean, and I think that, I think everybody would agree that, you know, if, if you were if you were in a tough situation, Stone would be as a player. Stone would be one of those guys you call, and you would hope that he would have his truck to go get you at that point in time. <laughs> All right, Coach. Before we get to the serious stuff, we're going to uh, we're going to take a trip down memory lane. Obviously, there's too many memories to go through at this time, but we just want to ask about maybe a couple ones that you might want to talk about real quick, at least over the last five years as uh, head football coach at Hendricks. Uh, last five years, I think we won a championship in there somewhere. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, that was actually really fun. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, well, if we get into that, I could tell you about 25, 25 to 30 plays that Dayton had that would be the top plays I've ever seen in my life. But, uh, but, I, but for you guys, I know this last year was a big year because Sandy started us off right by by winning the game at Texas Lutheran with that kick at the end of the game. That was a huge win uh, as they Hell went yeah. on to beat as they went on to beat the number six team in the country the next week uh, after we beat them. Uh, and then Stone, the second play on our highlight video is is him smoking a guy from Rhodes this year. So you know those those are two plays that stand out from this year. Um, obviously. Uh, it's kind of like playing. You just you look back and you and you have a good experience versus, hey man, this thing sticks out. It's when y'all start talking about certain things and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, and I remember that stuff. Um, but it's like when you when you're done playing. I mean, you can relate to this to some degree. Um, it's sometimes not the things that are like the games are not what you miss the most. It's the camaraderie. It's the you know before the game or maybe something that somebody said before a game or or doing a mat drill on the field or something like that off season it's those things that you actually miss because it's the whole uh, experience versus oh, i just miss playing in the games obviously you're going to miss playing we don't ever get to go back and do it again but the bottom line is you know there's more to it than just just playing games or whatever yeah coach you invoked a uh I'm not going to say a pseudo-religious figure on Hendricks, but Dayton Wynn's name carries a lot of weight. It carries more weight than his actual body does. I was um, going to say that. You stole that from me, Sandy. Good job. Uh, you'd be surprised that, what is this, July? So seven months after graduating from Hendricks, I've started to talk a lot more like you and say a lot of your stuff. And I suspect Stone's probably the same way. It just happens. 
So it does. Um, it just happens. Well, you talk about Seriously. 25 to 30 times a Dayton. I mean, he ran for 52 times against center. So the law of percent, I mean, he's got a, <laughs> it's not hard. He's got a lot of plays just because of how many times he touched the ball, which that's probably the best play call in the history of football, not just Hendricks, but it's right next to Vince Lombardi's power sweep is give it to Dayton. That's the play. Give it to Dayton. Just give it to Dayton. Just give it to Dayton. Just give it to Dayton because that nine times out of 10, it's going to result in a, well, actually, it's probably like 300 times out of 301, it's going to result in a positive play because <laughs> I think he only took one loss in his whole career. <laughs> yeah. I specifically remember a lot of plays where we're in the red zone and Coach Neal's thinking of these, uh, you know, crazy plays to go and score a touchdown and Buck taking the microphone down and saying, just give it to Dayton right in his face. And then, you know, Neil goes, you're probably right. And then we uh, go ahead and score a couple of touchdowns, you know. It's, it's a good play call. It's a good play call. So, and, and if you got guys like that, give them the ball. For sure. So, Coach, obviously we could go hours talking about stories, but let's let's get to something that's going on in real time. It actually just happened in the last two hours as we're recording the show. Drew, what in the heck is going on in college football at the moment? Yeah, right now, actually, like you said, uh, first it was the Big Ten, and then shortly after the Pac-12 uh, completely suspended their fall season. Uh, I actually just saw that the Pac-12 also suspended uh, their basketball um, season as well. So uh, a lot of cancellations coming this fall. Um, but, you know, obviously Hendricks or the SAA was, uh, had already canceled the fall season. Now, they, now the, the, some Power 5 schools um, have canceled their season as well. So, Coach Buck, like what, what, is that, what do you think is going to happen, I guess, in the next – do you think other Power 5 uh, conferences are going to follow or do you even follow that, you know, having to deal with this issue yourself? You know, I think – I don't know. There's probably a line in Vegas on that right now, too. I, don't, I mean, good question. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I feel like we're all destined to not play this fall just because of just the fact of, of the matter. But, you know, but who knows? I mean, I know the difference is those guys, there's there's some of those schools that they, you know, that's, that's a big paycheck. That is a big paycheck. And, you know, it's hard to say you don't want to collect on that and, 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 again, as players, I, I would venture to say that most of our players wanted to play. I mean, and we're ultimately we're trying to make the best decision for our players, at least when we make our decision at Hendricks. And I'm not saying this for any other level. I can only speak for us. Our, our decision was not financially driven decision uh, because, you know, we ain't taking gate receipts. So, for us, it didn't come down to that. It came down to – whether or not we felt like we could keep everybody healthy or safe. And, and at Hendricks, we wanted to play. We wanted to. Uh, and I, and, and, but that's just – that wasn't in the cards. Uh, and I think that's what you saw a lot this week is players want to play. Uh, and I think coaches want to, want to play. And it's just hard to know what's the right thing to do. Because in one hand, are we trying to keep people safe? Are we trying to keep the virus from spreading? But – if we're going to be at school, what's the difference in being at school and and playing, really? Because people are going to be around each other no matter what. Uh, we don't adhere to social distance, distancing very well. And, therefore, we, we're in the situation we're in. So, it, it's a question of do we go ahead and just charge head on and 
make it what it is, or do we try to curtail best we can and then try to get back to normal as best we can? And I don't have the answer to that. I, I'm not the person to answer that. All I'm the guy is, is like trying to do the best for our kids and our program and our town and what's going to be right for them. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I, and I, I hate to kind of, I guess, fast forward this conversation. Um, you know, obviously the plan is to play in the spring. Um, and that's when recruiting happens. So how do you – obviously, I don't know if you've put any thought into this, but what's your, what's your kind of mindset going into the whole recruitment process, which is really big for, obviously, colleges in the spring? Um, that's really not that big a deal. I mean, I, uh, it's like I told our guys, uh, our coaching staff, there's two things going here. Number one, I've done this without football for a fall before, and we recruited 52 Jacks to come here and start the program with. Uh, so that's not that difficult to, to have a, a fall without football. It might be a little strange going into spring because visits will be different, but we're not going to be able to have large overnight visits no matter what just because of our situation. So taking advantage of the fall and getting as many people here to visit in the fall is crucial. Like for right now, we have 26 guys coming to visit this week. So we're taking advantage of not having fall camp right now by, by recruiting. And that part, you know, so I don't feel like we're going to necessarily fall behind in that regard. Um, and uh, just because you're not playing in the fall doesn't mean that you're, that you're going to not be able to recruit. So that doesn't bother me as much. Uh, what I wish we were able to do is to be back on campus because I would have loved to have practiced this fall. Uh, but because we're not on campus right now, we, we can't practice. So whenever we do decide to come back in the spring, you know, we will have, we probably will have less practice than some other, some other people. But here's the fact: we brought, we came in year number one with 52 jacks that never played together, never seen each other. We had 22 practices together, and we won the first football game, and we were competitive in every football game. So sometimes all that stuff that everybody wants to do at 114 practices is overrated. It's what quality time you have with the time that you, and the time you spend that makes it worthwhile. So, bottom line is. Whatever hand we're dealt, it, we don't care what the cards are. It's how we play it. So it's, it's about how we play it. So, yeah, I've given a lot of thought to that, but I don't really care what the, what the scenarios are. We're going to adapt, adjust, improvise, and overcome. It's not like we're going to change COVID as a coaching staff. I mean, we're not changing that. We're going to be dealing with this no matter what. When the Spanish flu hit in, in 1918, it was a three-year process in a mostly rural society. We're in an urban society and a global society now. And, you know, we're talking like this is going to be a part-time thing. We're going to deal with this issue no matter what. So it's how we're going to deal with it and how we're best going to be able to protect everybody. And I don't know if we were ready really to be able to do that this fall. I can speak from our behalf at Hendricks. And even though we wanted to play, but once the SAA decided that we weren't, you know, we were kind of heading down this road of, not being able to, to, to be back on campus and stuff. But here's the thing. Uh, Teddy and I both got tested. It took him nine days to get his test results back. It took me seven days. We're not set up in our society to be able to deal with the issue right now. And, and here's a moral dilemma. And I love being a football coach and I want to play football. But should those guys have a more chance to get tested when I can't 
or we can't, a normal person in the regular society is still having trouble even getting tested or getting a test back seven to 10 days. And we're trying to quick test everybody just to play on a Saturday. I mean, are we taking that away from somebody else? Because we don't have enough materials to test. Everybody needs to be tested. We're not in set up in our country to deal with that right now. So that that's the bigger issue that's way outside any single football player or coach. Yeah, coach, you, you hit on something there that I don't think a lot of people talk about or mention. So, I mean, I've got my foot in both sides of the door here with my family being in the medical community. And obviously that's something I'd like to do as a profession. Uh, but also being a former athlete is that's one thing I think the NFL was struggling with is how, how do we justify playing the season and testing these guys on a regular basis, almost a daily basis when, and this was back in time when we still didn't have testing protocol in place to where it was tough to get everyone tested is we're, we're, we're going to be taking away testing from people who might need it. And that's a publicity nightmare for one, but also a moral dilemma, as you say. So it's, it's definitely tough in that regard as well. So, well, also, going back on what I said there, too, is, is if it takes seven to nine days to get a test back, then there's no way that we could play week to week, and there's no way that we could contact Trace effectively to keep it from spreading within our program or, or on our campus. Uh, and that goes for anybody in the situation. If you can't get adequate testing back quickly, then you're putting everybody in a bigger risk. Coach, one one more thing, real quick. You said that yours came back in seven days and Teddy's came back in nine days. That I'm guessing that means Teddy didn't cheat off of you on that test. <laughs> hey, if it was a math test, I'd have been cheating on him. But uh, no, uh, we had been together, so that's why we both got tested. So anyway, that's the that was the gist of it. But yeah, it took nine days and seven days. Um, hey, one thing I want to ask you too, Coach, is you know Drew asked you what you thought might happen in college football. One thing I've always thought, and I think a lot of people share this sentiment at least, is that coming from people who've supported teams in Power Five conferences, is that eventually we'll get to the point to where we're seeing super conferences. And we might honestly get a look at that this year with, uh, obviously, Drew said the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are done. Big Ten has a few teams that will probably still want to play, and maybe the SEC brings them in. And you're starting to see the, the first sign of a super conference. And maybe the ACC does something to where uh, not every team can play, but Clemson, Florida State want to play. And we see a super conference forming. So one thing I wanted to mention to you is obviously Sewanee back in the day did play in the SEC. They were a founding member of the SEC and actually did really well. at the, I mean, they were kicking butt. You know, it was a business yep, trip. Were, every they were, they were an original member of the SEC. And, and uh, they played like five games in 10 days or something at one time too. I got one for you better, Coach. It was five games in six days. Six days. Bang. That's crazy. Yep. That is crazy. So, you I don't know, think, and, I don't think they could do that now. Uh, probably not. What well, you probably could, you just wouldn't get great results. But inevitably, when the SAA gets absolved back into this mega conference, um, it, it bodes well for us because we have a decent record against SEC teams. That's true. That's true. So, I'll, I don't think we need to bite that off. Uh, just yet, but you know, I'm not afraid to play anybody, but not that I want to play them, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we'll, we'll get you to suit up too. So, uh, Coach, like we've been saying, we're definitely going to have you on for more episodes. Just cause... a deep snapper. I'm a specialist only now. I'm just a deep snapper now. Hey, there you go. It's a, Everything you do is for the brand, right? 
That is. It's for the brand. That's right. We can get you one of those shirts if you don't have one of those. I, tw I tweeted. I tweeted that for you today. You did. I was. I was very happy to see that. Made sure I retweeted that. Maybe Stone and Drew saw that. Try to get them. Stone. Stone is for the brand for sure. We're getting Drew there. Um, Stone was captain of the special teams, man. That's right. So that, he he has to be for the brand. Drew, we ask a question to end every interview. Um, obviously, it's different with Coach Buck being on the show, but he presented a different side to this story. So I'm going to let you reword the question that we like to ask and throw it back onto him. All right, Coach. So normally we end the interview uh, with asking players what it would be like if um, they were to date or if it's acceptable for them to date their coaches, not head coach, but just coaches in general's daughter. Um, so we're going to change it up, obviously. How would you feel if a um, Hendricks player was um, dating your uh, – your daughter, if you had one, you don't have one. But if you had a daughter, how would you, how would you feel if if a Stone Paul or Sandy Burks was uh, was dating your daughter? He'd feel a lot better well, if it was Stone. <laughs> well, you know, I, it's like here's the deal. You know, the great thing about Sandy is great banter, great conversation would be great with uh, you know Christmas table talk that kind of thing. But you know, Stone would be a guy I could take fishing. You know. And if you take a guy fishing, there's always a chance he could drown, right? So, you know, you got that going for you. If they're, you know, if they're dating your daughter and everything. But, uh, no, I wouldn't have any problem with those guys. And then, ultimately, you know, I would say that, uh, obviously, I would be overprotective, no doubt. But in the big picture, if I'm recruiting the right guys to Hendricks, then they should be able to date my daughter as well. Well, all right, Coach, we're going to leave it at that. I mean, that was quote of the year. Be wary of cinder blocks on the boat. Uh, talking about – I know you weren't – you don't want to kill Stone, but, you know, we get nope, it. I would, I would never kill Stone. I was just making the point of, you know, there's always that threat of, you know, you know, going overboard if you're dating someone's daughter, you know. So, you know, you, you got to have a little bit of fear factor there. You really are right before our very eyes turning into Uncle Buck. Hey, I, I keep an axe right here in the back. That's right. Sharp enough to shave the wings off a bug. Matt, bug? <laughs> I think I got that quote right. I love See, Uncle Bug. All right, guys. We're going to end it there, Coach. Obviously, we're going to bring you back on because you're too good not to have on. Um, in a different life, maybe we'd all be doing this together in a studio. We'd have our own studio, probably in the back of JJ's. The JJ's Bar. You know, that studio. would be a great place. That'd be a great place for a studio. That'd be a great place for an on-location shoot. Yep. That would be great, especially when it's when it's uh, happy minutes for wings because that you can put some wings down at that place. There we go. Free, I mean, free advertisement. Hopefully, JJ slashes on and sponsors us. And you know, once Coach Buck is retired, we'll have the Coach Buck Studio at the JJ's Bar and Grill and do pregame <laughs> shows and all that postgame. Who knows? Well, we just need to win a lot more games. The good news for this fall, though, is we're not losing any. That's right. Everyone's undefeated, except for Rhodes. Maybe they'll lose one. We'll see. <laughs> I know you'll play the fifth on that one, but I can say that. Souped up Bobcats. That's right. 